Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. saying, no, I am not turning this show political, but you know, we are in the midst of an election season and just about every campaign season, it seems that we do hear from candidates, particularly presidential candidates, that they're going to investigate extraterrestrials and UFOs and everybody gets excited and we love to play their statements and pick them apart and try to think that they're going to mean something. But then, of course, they get into office. They're given that talk that every president is given. And then eventually nothing happens. And this cycle starts all over again. New cycle, new person, same talk, no disclosure. I mean, I don't think we're at the point where we really need any more investigation because the evidence is overwhelming. You don't have to look far. There's many places where you can find the information I mean, we know about Project Blue Book, but there's countless other government and military programs that are on the record, classified and unclassified, including the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program. That's the most recent one. And, of course, these programs have gone on for decades. But, you know, they all say that eventually they close and that they're not able to find any sort of overwhelming explanation, but they seem to disregard all of the unknown cases, the ones that they can't identify well despite efforts by a reporter for the conway daily sun to ask all of the presidential candidates that they can about this subject there really has has not been any earth-shattering statements from the candidates 
as we've seen in previous campaigns, particularly when Hillary was run, running and John Podesta. Perhaps uh, it's because that none of the candidates running have actually had an encounter. And while he's not running for president, retired U.S. Air Force Captain Robert Salas is the exception. He's running for the U.S. House of Representatives in California. And in a citizen's hearing on disclosure in May of 2013, here's what he had to say. It pretty much sets up perfectly what we're going to discuss today. At that time, I was the first lieutenant of the U.S. Air Force Station in Alpha Air Force Base, Montana. I was trained and assigned duties as a missile launch officer for the Minuteman 1 intercontinental ballistic missile. It was, I was designated deputy missile combat crew commander and part of a two-man crew. My commander at that time was Lieutenant Frederick Meinwald. He's not deceased. We were on duty uh, inside the Oscar Launch Control Center, a concrete capsule located about 60 feet underground. We had operational control over 10 Minuteman nuclear missiles. Each missile operates independently and has its own source of primary and backup power systems. It is important for you to note that the command and control for these missiles was entirely located within the capsule. There was absolutely no means to affect any of the missile systems from outside the capsule. On the evening of March 24, 1967, while my commander was on a scheduled rest break, I received the first of two phone calls from my topside flight security controller, FSC. Uh, the first call was to report unidentified uh, lighted objects flying above the facility. Minutes later, the FSC phoned again and reported in a very agitated state that there was a large oval-shaped object hovering above the front gate. It was uh, a red pulsating lighted object approximately 30, 40 feet in diameter. Uh, the best he could describe it. It was, uh, it was difficult to distinguish a structural part of it on the inside except it was glowing red pulsating object. Uh, he had all the men out there with their weapons drawn. He wanted me to, know, uh, wanted me to tell him what to do next. <laughs> I, uh, of course, told him something like, uh, make sure nothing comes inside the perimeter fence. As I started to my commander, our missiles began to shut down. We lost alert status on all 10 missiles while this object was above our facility. When we queried the fault system, all missiles reported guidance and control system data. At that time, the FSC reported to me that the object had flown off at high speed. When the security alert team arrived at the affected LX, and I'll read uh, LX meaning launch facilities, uh, they reported seeing the object hovering over those sites. As they approached closer to the object, uh, they lost all communications with the FSC. After speaking to the wing command post, Lieutenant Marwell informed me that the same thing happened at another flight. Uh, at that time, I assumed that meant that night, but it turns out that what he meant was it happened at another flight about a week earlier. He uh, just reported, they reported that the objects were above them, and at that point the missiles started shutting down. Uh, disabled. Recently, let's say uh, 2010, there was a shutdown of 50 missiles at Francisy Warren Air Force Base. Uh, this was announced by the Air Force. It was 
announced that there was a, eventually announced it was a computer glitch. Uh, now, um, I'm very worried about that. I'm not sure I believe that, but we do have witnesses that have come forward, both civilian and airports, that said they saw an object in the sky on these shutdowns. This is still being investigated, but these incidents are still going on. Uh, these objects know uh, in great detail how our missiles operate. They know ours, but we don't know theirs. <laughs> That's right. And they, they, they can shut down our missiles at any time. Uh, they have proven that. Uh, they know in great detail how they operate. And so, uh, if you release that information to the public, um, what do you say then about, uh, you know, what kind of defense do we have against these things? The words of Robert Salas, I couldn't have said it better myself, very telling. Two things that he said. Number one, that this is still going on and that they know how our missiles operate that they can shut it down at any time. This is a national security issue. We cannot let this information get out that somebody has the keys to our nuclear weapons, whether they're from this world or another. Tonight's program, from Malmstrom to D.C., Robert Salas joins me next. Want to chat with like-minded thinkers? Join Into the Paranormal Facebook group. It'll blow your mind. Abnormal News. I'm Brad Bernards. One of the defining characteristics of the mysterious deep space signals we call fast radio bursts is that they are unpredictable. They belch out across the cosmos without rhyme or reason. Now for the first time, astronomers have found a fast radio burst that repeats on a regular cycle. The repeating part of it is what is really exciting because now we stand a chance of figuring out what these things are. I'm not reaching out to ET at this point in time. There is much more likely to be an astrophysical explanation. Professor Paul Delaney of York University, courtesy of Global News. Every 16.35 days, the signal of this particular FRB follows a similar pattern. For four days, it will spit out a burst or two every hour. Then it falls silent for 12 days. Then the whole thing repeats. Gravitational waves, or ripples in space-time, slip through the Earth all the time, carrying secrets about the universe. But until a few years ago, we couldn't detect these waves at all, and even now we have only the most basic ability to detect the stretching and squeezing of the cosmos. However, a proposed new gravitational wave hunter, which would measure how particles of light and gravity interact, could change that. In the process, it could answer big questions about dark energy and the universe's expansion. Read the news at paraabnormalradio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, Paraabnormal News.
asking the hard questions as we ponder what could be. You're traveling into the paranormal. Oh boy, we're definitely truth-seeking tonight here on the program. I'm Jeremy Scott. Retired U.S. Air Force Captain Robert Salas, a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy, served seven years on active duty during the Vietnam War era. While on active duty, he worked as a weapons controller, flew target drones, commanded intercontinental ballistic missiles as a launch officer, and worked as a missile propulsion engineer on the Titan III program. Salas also worked as an engineer on design proposals for the space shuttle and for the Federal Aviation Administration. He published the book Fated Giant with co-author James Klotz in 2005, in which the UFO incident he witnessed while stationed at Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana in 1967 is detailed. In 2013, he published Unidentified, the UFO Phenomenon, providing new details on the phenomenon from his extensive research. In September 2010, he co-sponsored a press conference at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., where he and six other former military witnesses testified to the reality of the UFO incidents at U.S. nuclear weapons bases. In May 2013, he participated in the Citizens' Hearing on Disclosure. He's also a candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives in the 26th District in the state of California as a Democrat. That election coming up on March 3rd. His website is salas4congress.org. Mr. Salas, it is so good to have you here on Into the Parabnormal. Uh, my pleasure, Jeremy. Good to be with you. Let's dive right in because at the heart of... You wanting to run for the House of Representatives is this interest in UFOs, I guess, spawned by the military videos, the Tic Tac and otherwise, that have come out in the past few years. But prior to these videos coming out, you had quite a, a, an encounter yourself in 1967 there at Malmstrom Air Force Base. Prior to that event, were you aware that there was a history of UFOs targeting these weapons stashes? Uh, no, not at all, not at all. Um, well, before the incident happened, we did have reports in the local newspaper, the Great Falls Tribune, of uh, lights in the sky, of course, and farmers uh, seeing strange objects. Uh, but uh, I pretty much dismissed that. We None of us uh, gave it a second thought, really. Um, until that evening, March 24th, 1967, I got a first call from well, one of my guards upstairs said, uh, we've been seeing lights in the sky flying over the facility there, um, making strange maneuvers, uh, flying very fast, uh, stopping on a dime, reversing course, that sort of thing, and no engine noise. Um, and he said, uh, you know, pl- airplanes don't do this. <laughs> Uh, I, we can't see how this, this could be done with a, a regular airplane. So I uh, thought it interesting, but I, you know, frankly, I just didn't pay give it much attention. And so I, I kind of dismissed it, hung up, thanked him for the call. I, it did, uh, it was a little strange because these guys are very professional. Uh, they are, any kind of communication we have with them, we're usually uh, 
and do the, the duties at hand, which are, you know, taking care of 10 nuclear missiles. <laughs> so, um, and then about five minutes later, uh, he calls back, and this time he's very frightened, screaming at the phone, and uh, saying, uh, you know, babbling, really, and uh, saying there's a, a glowing red uh, object that's uh, kind of a pulsating light uh, just above the facility. And uh, he's got all the guards out there with their weapons drawn and wants me to tell him what to do next. I think he, he wanted me to give him authority to fire on, on it, uh, which they had. I mean, they had the authority to use lethal force of uh, any uh, threat of uh, any incursion in the facility. But I was pretty shocked. I, I didn't know exactly what to tell him. I just said, make sure nothing comes into the perimeter fence. And, uh, and that was about it. He did say one of the guards got injured. He hung up. Um, it turned out later that the guard that got injured uh, had nothing to do with the UFOs. More, he was um, probably very frightened and uh, tried to climb a, a fence. Um, uh, and we had barbed wire around the perimeter fence, so he uh. cut his hand. So after that phone call. Um, Immediately after I went over and woke up my commander who was taking a rest break. We're on duty 24 hours, so we alternate uh, rest breaks and um, woke him up, started to tell him about the phone calls, and all of a sudden we, we get the bells and whistles going off and uh, lights and uh, all kinds of things go to hell. And, uh, and uh, we look over at the board, and all 10 of the missiles are going down there. They're all disabled. We got guidance and control system failure on each of them. The same message. We had a way of querying the system, and uh, all all uh, were guidance and control failure. Um, so uh, we reported to the command post. I, I called back upstairs, and uh, he said the object had just left. Um, so that. This happened while this object was still above us. Um, my commander called back to the base, and um, after that call, he, uh, he turned to me and said the same thing happened at another flight. I thought it was that evening, but it turns out uh, I didn't find this out until much later. Uh, it turns out that was the Echo flight incident, which is uh, a very similar facility to ours. Um, and that happened about um, eight days earlier. And he was told that on the phone call, but um, like I said, I didn't find out about that until, well, until I, I got the Air Force to um, declassify the ECHO incident. So uh, in the span of uh, eight days, we lost uh, 10 nuclear missiles to UFOs. Uh, right after that, uh, well, not right after, but uh, the, the next morning we were relieved by another crew. I was, uh, first thing I went out, up, up uh, on the elevator and, and uh, looked at that guard that reported this and, and said, that, yeah, tell me again what happened, you know, and, uh, and uh, he didn't really want to talk. I think by then they had been told not to say anything to anybody about this. Um, so he went over basically what I told you. He couldn't make out uh, distinct features of 
inside the light, but it did say there was some kind of a structured craft inside this very bright uh, reddish-orange light. Uh, we were taken back to the base after that. We had to report directly to our squadron commander, and I walked in there. There was a man from AFOSI, Air Force Office of Special Investigation, and uh, my commander was an old World War II B-17 pilot. And I asked him directly, I said, was this some kind of a exercise, a, you know, Air Force exercise? And he assured me it was not. He was white as a sheet. Uh, he couldn't figure out what had happened. Um, but uh, what the AFOSI guy did was shove this uh, non-disclosure statement into our faces, asked, told us to sign uh, and never to disclose any of it ever on penalty of prison. Did you sign um, that, Robert? You, you bet I did. I signed it. Um, and so did my commander. And so I didn't uh, speak about this until... 1994, 94. Uh, so this is what, 27 years later, I was out of the Air Force by then. Uh, I happened to pick up a book in a bookstore called Above Top Secret by Timothy Good. I happened to turn to page 300 of that book. Actually, 301, I'm sorry. 301. And there was a short paragraph about UFOs shutting down missiles in Montana in 1967. Uh, so I, I was kind of shocked to see that, and I went home and uh, showed it to my wife uh, because I thought the Air Force had declassified the incident. Otherwise, how could it be in this book, right? So I, I got a hold of somebody from MUFON and uh, asked them. That was Jim Klotz. Jim Klotz, uh, from MUFON, and uh, asked him to send a FOIA request to the Air Force, uh, declassifying this, uh, well, asking for documents, basically, but don't say anything about UFOs. All right, we're going to hold you right there, uh, Robert Salas, my guest, uh, and he's talking about filing a FOIA request for documents into the incident that he was a part of. 1994 reads this book, and here is how this story just blows up from there. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. We'll be right back. Into the Parabnormal is streaming 24-7 on the TuneIn Radio app and at ParabnormalRadio.com. Abnormal news. I'm Brad Bernard. Three, two, one, zero. And liftoff of our solar orbit and international collaboration to give us new images and a better understanding of our life-giving star.
Solar Orbiter, a new collaborative mission between ESA and NASA to study the sun, launched late Sunday on a United Launch Alliance Atlas V rocket from Launch Complex 41 at Cape Canaveral Air Force Station in Florida. In the first two days after launch, Solar Orbiter deploys its instrument boom and several antennas that will communicate with Earth and gather scientific data. Holly Gilbert, NASA Project Scientist. Solar Orbiter will give us a comprehensive, full view of the entire sun and how the sun is impacting throughout the entire solar system. Solar Orbiter is on a unique trajectory that will allow its comprehensive set of instruments to provide humanity with the first-ever images of the sun's poles, bringing the spacecraft within the orbit of Mercury to study the sun and its influence on space. In summer 2016, astronomers watched a star 2,500 light-years away in the Cygnus constellation flash to life as if preparing to explode in a fiery supernova. The next day, however, the star dimmed back to normal again. No fuss, no kaboom. Within a few weeks, the strange cycle repeated itself. The star suddenly brightened, then dimmed again within a day. Over the following year, the cycle occurred again and again, repeating five times within 500 days. Now, according to a study published January 21st in the journal Astronomy and Astrophysics, it turns out that the oddball star wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary at all. Rather, the study authors wrote, it appears that a set of meddlesome binary stars is warping space-time in front of the star, effectively creating a field of cosmic magnifying glasses, gravitational lensing, predicted by Albert Einstein's theory of general relativity. Read the news at ParabnormalRadio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, Pair Abnormal News. March 24, 1967, I and my commander, Fred Mywald, were on duty in Roy, Montana. The men are stationed in the missile launch bunker, 60 feet below ground. We had control of 10 nuclear missiles. If ordered, it's Salas' job to launch the warheads. Sometime in the early morning hours, we get a call. Got us. On the other end of the phone is a terrified guard stationed above the bunker. He's screaming into the phone. He's yelling, sir, I'm looking out the front gate. I see this glowing red object. Originating from a remote location, nearly as top secret as Area 51. Yeah, and if you believe that, you'll really like this show. Into the Paranormal. From Malmstrom to D.C., it's our program tonight with Robert Salas. His website, salas4congress.org, is running in the 26th district there in California. And the elections coming up in just a couple of weeks. His story of what happened to him at uh, Malmstrom Air Force Base uh, that he was a witness to in 1967, just absolutely fascinating. He signs a document uh, not to talk about the incident. And you probably didn't uh, ever imagine that you would hear anything else uh, about it uh, until that day you did when you opened up that book. 
Exactly. In fact, I didn't hear anything else about it, even while I was uh, stationed at Maelstrom uh, for a couple more years. And that's strange, because we, we got briefings uh, every time we went out on alert. But anyway, um, we did write to the Air Force under FOIA, and uh, they wrote back, and said, uh, you know, this is a classified incident. Um, uh, however, since it's been 12 years, we're going to declassify it, and we're going to send you documents. And that's what they did. They started sending documents uh, related to the Echo Flight incident, which was, which I thought was my incident because it it was described very much as what I remember. Uh, and of course, my memory by that time was a little. Um, you know, real sharp about the, uh, all the events and names, et cetera, uh, because it had been so long. But when I got the documents, I, I was convinced it was my incident, and I started talking about it as a UFO event. And I went on, on radio, I went on the old Art Bell show, I gave a, a, a interview to the Great Falls Tribune, and, and so... <laughs> that that launched it, and I've been speaking about it openly now for uh, uh, oh, nearly 24 years. And um, however, uh, when I finally got a hold of my commander, Fred Mywald, who was in the capsule with me, uh, he told me, you know, we were not at Echo; we were at Oscar, which is a, a different uh, uh, facility, same type of facility, and it's a Launch Control Center, but it was a different facility. And that's when I realized, uh, basically, I'm, I'm st I'm, uh, I have broken my, uh, you know, the, the agreement that I signed. <laughs> but I decided, you know, I'm going to keep talking about this. It's too important, uh, especially since there were... Um, uh, two incidents very close to each other, very similar. I did get a hold of the other commander and deputy. Uh, that was uh, Walter Fiegel and uh, James Carlson at Echo Flight, and, and I had my commander, and then other witnesses started coming forward. We were able to contact, uh, for example, uh, a fellow in the uh, cryptographic center who had seen uh, a secret document uh, stating that UFOs did, in fact, shut down the missiles. Uh, I got other witnesses, like the um, investigative head, uh, head of the investigative team from Boeing that confirmed it was a UFO event, and also the um, uh, the man that led the um, uh, team that brought the Oscar flight missiles back up on alert, and he confirmed that all 10 of them had gone down, and he was told it was a UFO event. So... These were these were the witnesses that uh, I brought uh, to the 2010 uh, national press conference in Washington, and they came forward. They signed affidavits, so I've got affidavits. I've got documents, uh, witness testimony. I think I've got a, a very good case. A case for what? Uh, what is your ultimate goal here, Robert? Well, obviously, it's to, uh, to get the government to. Uh, admit to this incident uh, to get um, uh, the government, the U.S. government, to admit that a lot of these um, 
incidents have been occurring over nuclear bases. Mine is not the only one. I mean, uh, these two incidents I just described are just the tip of the iceberg. These incidents that happened uh, um, in 66, 68, uh, 76, uh, even uh, we think up to 2010. Uh, UFOs over nuclear weapons sites. So it's a clear message, I think. And that's how I describe this, because I, I want to emphasize the the missiles were not damaged in any way. There's uh, no physical damage to the missiles. Uh, what, what happened was the um, guidance system, which is an inertial guidance system requiring a, uh, a stable platform to operate properly, and that platform was just upset. That's all it was. The platform was upset, and when it was, the um, the targeting system goes haywire, and we had to retarget um, our missiles. So the missiles were back up on alert within about uh, a day, a day and a half, uh, and there was no damage. So um, this was not, uh, I want your guests to, to understand, this was not an attack by aliens, uh, at least I don't see it that way. Uh, this was simply a warning, or basically a message that we really need to get rid of our nuclear weapons. And, and you see the situation we're in now, where uh, the um, Federation of Atomic Scientists just uh, uh, moved the hand on their doomsday clock, doomsday meaning um, nuclear war, to about 90 seconds to doomsday because of the um, situation with nuclear weapons worldwide, the danger of, of, of it being used. So it is a serious situation even today, and, that, and that's another reason I, I want to see the government um, uh, disclose the reality of, of the UFO phenomenon. It is very real, very real. So are you worried that now you've been talking about this, that signing that document might have some repercussions? No. No, like I said, I've been talking about this in 15 foreign countries and in the U.S. since, uh, oh, like I said, about 1996. Um, if the Air Force uh, wanted to come after me for... Um, uh, that, that document I signed, uh, they could have done it a long time ago. They don't want to touch this because if they did, I would present my evidence to the world uh, in, in a more uh, <laughs> a spectacular way, let's say, if I, I were to go before a court of law. Uh, so I'm not concerned that the government will come after me. Uh, in fact, I'm, I would welcome it. So never been chased by the black uh, men in black or anything like that? Nope. Nope. <laughs> a luck, a lucky you. Robert, was there an official conclusion in the Malmstrom Air Force Base um, event that you were involved in? Uh, no. Uh, that's the short answer. There was, um, uh, in fact, the uh, Boeing engineer who led the Boeing team that was investigating the ECHO incident was told not to write a final report, even though um, when they were uh, investigating, uh, when they were given the order to investigate, uh, the Air Force told them this was a matter of grave concern. 
in a telex, uh, one of the documents we've got. Grave concern. And Boeing had the um, overall contract for the Miniman 1. Uh, it was their responsibility to come up with uh, solutions for problems like this, and they couldn't. They, they could not find uh, a reason for this to have occurred. So to answer your question, the Air Force did do a secret study. We've never been able to get a hold of that. But as far as I know, they never came to any conclusion, any official conclusion yet. Robert Salas is my guest. We'll continue right after this. I'm Jeremy Scott, somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. Save your data and listen for free by calling 701-719-9703, courtesy of TalkStream Live. under your blankets. Whatever you do, prepare yourself for what's coming through your speakers into the pair of normal. Nightfall in March of 1967 at Malmstrom Air Force Base near Great Falls. Here's Robert Salas commanding a fleet of nuclear weapons and a UFO appears the front gates of the base, and the weapons go offline. And, Robert, again, you said it took about a day and a half uh, for, for these to come back online? Well, yeah. We uh, we sent crews out there right away, uh, maintenance crews. Uh, but it's a little – the procedure's a little involved. They've got to open up the facility and uh, align uh, – do an alignment process uh, – to make sure that uh, missiles are targeted properly. So uh, it didn't take, you know, more than a day or day and a half. Back to there being no official conclusion, do you find that telling? Uh, well, uh, what I did, didn't mention yet is that there was an ongoing um, Condon investigation. Have you heard of the Condon investigation? Oh, yeah, uh, Frank Condon, I believe, in the University of Colorado. Uh, not Frank Condon, it was, um, gosh, it's first name. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so that was going on, started in 1966, in August of 66, and uh, and right in the middle of that, our incident occurred. In fact, um, uh, let, let me go full circle as to why this, uh, uh, this little paragraph found itself in uh, Above Top Secret. It's a Dr. Edward, uh, Dr. Edward Condon, by the way. Sorry to Edward Condon, yes. No problem. Uh, so this happened, uh, like I say, in March. And um, Ray Fowler, uh, who was um, uh, head of the uh, electrical unit uh, 
working with Sylvania. Sylvania had a contract on the missile systems, and he heard about the incident from his people. Uh, he had contractors on site. There was a UFO incident. He contacted uh, uh, Edward Condon's uh, investigator, a man by the name of Roy Craig, and um, told him, uh, you know, he had he had uh, these guys uh, who were pretty reliable telling him uh, one of them saw the UFO uh, or UFOs in the area, and uh, the, uh, there was indications that the UFOs might have been responsible. You know, because uh, uh, they had by then they had interviewed uh, um, the other crew of Echo Flight, and and of course they knew about ours. And this was uh, in September, I think, of '67. Uh, so uh, Craig, who was the chief investigator for Condon, went to Malmstrom and started to look into it, but was thwarted by. Um, our, our base ops commander, uh, base ops officer, um, Lieutenant Colonel Lewis Chase. Uh, and uh, Chase basically lied to him and told him that um, not nothing to see here. And so uh, Craig really, uh, even though he had names and people to talk to about, uh, you know, witnesses, et cetera, uh, he turned around and left. He just did not continue to investigate these two incidents. So they never got into the Condon report, and, um, and the Condon report came out and said, uh, uh, Air Force, uh, you don't need to waste your time on this, uh, et cetera. It was a whitewash, basically a whitewash. Uh, and so, but uh, because of that, Ray Fowler, who had, you know, blown the whistle, basically, I was angry, and he, in 1973, I think it was, gave an interview to the, um, the Christian Science Monitor, and uh, he told all. He said, you know, he, he had good evidence that uh, this was a UFO event. The Echo flight shut down, and so that's where. Um, uh, So how long did the sighting last, Robert? Oh, I would say a minute or so, uh, minutes maybe. I, I don't know how long this uh, object was overhead uh, before I got the phone call. Uh, uh, probably at least a minute because they, you know, they had to get all the guards out there, weapons, et cetera. So I'd say a couple minutes, three minutes. And Not then, long. did the guards say, uh, like, did they did they see it fly away, or did it just like blink out? Uh, he said that, as I recall, he said it flew away at very high speed. Um, you know, again, I'm. Uh, it's been a long time. I don't remember his exact words. And plus, he was very reluctant even to speak with me. I was a superior officer, but uh, I think uh, he, I think by then they had been told. Not to say anything, even to us. This was not something. It was not something that you guys really talked about. Well, the uh, the next morning, I you know, I, at home, I got a call from 
uh, one of these guards, um, and they said that all those guards wanted to talk to me, and, you know, just informally uh, come over and uh, speak with them because they wanted somebody to make sense of this to them. And I had to turn them down. I, by then, I had already signed that non-disclosure statement, um, and I couldn't speak to anyone. So I had to turn them down. You know. Being in the military as long as you were, have you seen any any behavior like what was reported with this glowing object that night? You know, I... Uh, I went dark after this thing happened, and, you know, I was not supposed to talk to anybody about it, and I didn't. So for that next 27 years, uh, other than uh, another incident that I had, um, I uh, had no real um, uh, involvement with UFOs. So I don't, yeah. so uh, you- I don't know if that answers your question. Did you, uh, you so you, have you had a sighting since? I guess. Uh, well, I did go on a CE five uh, fairly recently and saw objects in the sky, but um, not certainly not like this. My guest is Robert Salas, and he is running for Congress in California in the twenty sixth district. And he was on base at Malmstrom Air Force Base in 1967 when this incident occurred. We'll talk with him more after this. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Make sure to subscribe to Into the Paranormal's free YouTube channel for shows, news, and exclusive reports. Abnormal News, I'm Brad Bernards. Scientists have identified an enigmatic virus whose genome seems to be almost entirely new to science. The so-called Yara virus, named after Yara, a water queen figure in Brazilian mythology, was recovered from Lake Pampulha, an artificial lake in the Brazilian city of Belo Horizonte. While Yara virus may be no supernatural siren, the virus could prove to be just as mysterious as the water nymph of legend. That's because the virus constitutes a new lineage of amoebal virus with a puzzling origin and phylogeny. The research team explains in a new preprint paper about the discovery. Into the Parabnormal's Jeremy Scott has some thoughts. Brad, what's most concerning to me is the fact that scientists say this virus has genes that they have never seen before. The fact that it was found in a body of water in Brazil means it could also be transferred through the water. Makes me wonder if this is some sort of bioweapon. We now know viruses are much more complex than was once believed, and in recent years scientists have uncovered other kinds of viral forms that similarly challenge our thinking about how viruses can spread and function. 
China's Hubei province announced 242 new deaths from the novel coronavirus Thursday, twice as many as those on the previous day. New infections there jumped by more than 14,000. The spike in numbers is partly due to a broader definition of what constitutes a confirmed case to include people diagnosed on the basis of their symptoms rather than testing positive. On the northwest edge of NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center campus in Greenbelt, Maryland, thousands of computers hum in a deafening chorus of data crunching. These machines collectively are known as NASA's Discover Supercomputer, and they are tasked with running sophisticated climate models to predict Earth's future climate. But now they're also sussing out something much farther away, whether any of the more than 4,000 curiously weird planets beyond our solar system could support life. Here's Dr. Michael Way of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies. We give it different kinds of atmospheres and see how the planet responds, the climate responds to that, because we really want the planet to be in, in what we call the habitable zone, where it would have liquid water on its surface. And so that's the game we play it. Read the news at parabnormalradio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, Parabnormal News. Just don't tell you to. You're traveling into the paranormal with Jeremy Scott. Robert Salas is my guest from Malmstrom to D.C. Our program tonight, he was there at Malmstrom Air Force Base in 1967, and now he's running for the House of Representatives. I'm interested in your take in the videos that have come out uh, from the Navy and other branches, particularly the Nimitz video, the, the Tic Tac. Right. Yeah, uh, I've seen videos like that uh, before uh, where the object seems to be surrounded by some kind of uh, ionized gas. It's very obscured, and that's similar to what my guards reported to me, of course, that they, they had, it was a light, but it was seemed to be kind of a gaseous substance that was surrounding uh, some kind of structure. Uh and uh, in fact, I've gotten I got video from that when I was down in South America of another object uh, very similar, um, and I've shown it uh, on my I think it's on my YouTube page. Uh, but yeah, the the what what was displayed by the Navy uh, and released uh, very much is uh, similar to. Other many other videos uh, that I've seen, and I think are authentic. Yeah, so I have no doubt they're authentic. Why, Robert? Well, first of all, you got some very (laughs) respectable (laughs) Navy pilots uh, reporting this, Um, uh, and and not just one, but um, I think at least three people, uh, three Navy pilots, have uh, come out and said, "Yeah, this is what we saw." Uh, and, and the uh, the behavior of the object um, 
and also the fact that it came out of the water. There have been many, many reports of these objects going into the water, coming out of the water. Um, so the whole story, uh, uh, the stories of the Nimitz and the other uh, aircraft carrier um, are, uh, to me, very valid. Was there any weird radar activity that you observed when you were serving? Weird radar activity. Well, um, there had been reports, uh, of course, uh, of what are called fast walkers. Uh, even when I was um, uh, working with radar in Florida, this, that was before my um, Maelstrom time, uh, we had we had incidents where we saw what are called fast walkers. In other words, radar blips that are going uh, much faster than uh, than jets can go, the fighter jets that we were controlling. How much faster would you say? Well, uh, they were going at much higher speeds than they should have been going. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys couldn't keep up. Right, Exactly. That puts it in perspective. They were advanced aircraft. Uh, they were flying at speeds that are still not even achievable today with all of our advancements in aviation. Exactly. Right. Was there a craft that anyone observed there at the Air Force Base? Okay, so on, on March 24th, there was an incident uh, involving a truck driver. Uh, he, was, he was driving to uh, Great Falls, where Malmstrom is located, uh, in a little town called Belt. I don't know, it was maybe 30 miles outside of Great Falls. And he sees this light uh, going about his speed <laughs> just to his left. He does a double take, and it's just a light. Uh, well, yeah, basically a light, a lighted object, flying object. He stops the truck. Uh, he watched, the light actually hovers near him and 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 lands in a, a ravine. He calls the uh, highway patrol. The highway patrol comes out, and they both go over and validate that the object had landed. Uh, they actually called the Air Force. In the Great Falls Tribune, um, they, they report this thing uh, as being seen by airmen on the base. So all this, what I'm telling you, is written up in the Great Falls Tribune. It's an article, but the case itself is very well documented. Uh, I got some of those documents. In fact, I've got the entire account by this truck driver. And March 24th is the date of my incident. Uh, so, and that that's key to this guy that uh, uh, brought my missiles back up on alert, uh, Bob Jamison. Uh, he bought missiles back up, but he remembers this incident. This, this is called the belt incident. Um, and so uh, as a UFO incident, and it was that night, and that's how we pinned down the date of my incident because I don't have any documents on my particular incident, the Oscar flight. I, the documents I have are about echo flight. Uh, the Air Force would, after I started speaking about this, wouldn't send me any more documents. So um, to answer your question, yeah, I think uh, Airman did see this object uh, over the over the field at Malmstrom on the 24th. What is your belief as as far as who was maybe piloting or or how that craft was getting its power, 
and uh, how they were able to shut down the weapons? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, anything I would say about power or how they were able to do what they did would be speculation, so I'm not going to speculate. What I can tell you is that, um, uh, and, and again, I go into this incident uh, with a witness called Tex. Uh, Tex was one of the guys bringing back the birds, uh, one of Echo Flight's uh, missiles back up on alert, uh, you know, after their incident. And while he was doing that, uh, an object, uh, orange ball of light comes over and sits right above him. And um, while he, he decided he had to finish his job, so he went back to his checklist and started going through uh, the checklist and, and bringing the missile back up on alert, almost had it, and it would shut down. So he tried this over and over again. This object was just above him. And every time he got to a particular point in his checklist, the missile would shut down again. And he said he had the distinct feeling that, uh, that this object knew exactly how our systems worked and, and wanted to demonstrate by shutting the missile down uh, each time he got to a particular point in his checklist. Uh, so uh, we're talking about... Uh, very advanced intelligence uh, uh, that are controlling these objects. Um, they know in great detail how our most technical systems work. So we're, we're dealing with uh, something uh, very, very uh, advanced. Robert, tell us about your campaign for the House of Representatives uh, in in the state of California. If I was there in California, I'd vote for you, but I'm up here in Oregon, so I can't help. But maybe some of my listeners (laughs) who can cast a ballot in your favor. Um, Tell them about why you're running. Or they may want. (laughs) Okay, so obviously I've been pushing for disclosure for a long time. Um, Like you said, I I organized uh, one uh, conference with the National Press Club in D.C. and then participated in many other um, um, press clubs. Our pre- uh, press reports um, um, 2001 uh, to 2013 and uh, each time we were, of course got a lot of um, media attention but you know the media is pretty fickle and they go off and think of something else uh, a couple of days later. But this is really uh, significant, important, earth-shattering, whatever you want to describe it. And so I finally decided uh, one of the reasons I want to run here is um, I want to finally bring this subject to the halls of Congress where I can um, you know, participate in maybe calling witnesses um, and, and bringing up this subject uh, in for real, uh, see if we can get some action on disclosure. I'm committed to doing this. So, um, not only that, of course, I'm, I want to represent my community here, or I've lived for over 20 years. Uh, I see how broken government is. Uh, with my experience, um, my uh, engineering experience, and my other experiences, I, I think I can uh, uh, make a difference. And um, in, in I've, I've shown that I've got uh, discipline and, and the commitment to. Uh, 
to open up some doors with secrecy. We've got extreme secrecy in government. Everybody knows uh, that without uh, knowing what's going on, uh, you know, behind closed doors in government, uh, it's just ripe for corruption. And that's what we've seen. We've seen a, a very corrupt system come up. And so I'm, uh, I want to make a difference. I want to try to help uh, bring our democracy back. So uh, any of your listeners who want to donate can go to solaceforcongress.org. Uh, as long as you're a U.S. citizen, I can accept donations. Yeah, that's important to point out. Uh, where is the 26th district? Uh, well, it's the Ventura County area, which includes the city of Ventura, Camarillo, Oxnard, um, Thousand Oaks, that's about it. And, and who are you running against? Well, she's a, um incumbent is Julia Brownlee. She's been in office now for seven and a half years. So it'll be an uphill battle, but um, I, I think I've got a fighting chance. Did, does she know your, your take on, on UFOs? Oh, well, she should. I went uh, and talked, tried to get her to get an, interested in this subject. She didn't even go to take a meeting with me. She uh, sent her uh, underlings to sit with me, and uh, I went through the whole thing with her, showed them, uh, with them. I showed them my evidence and um, never heard another word back from her. Uh, so I don't think she's taking this seriously. Robert, what kinds of evidence do you have in your arsenal? Because folks want to know, you know, if, if I vote for Robert, I want to know what he what he's going to expose to the world. Well, um, I've uh, uh, that second book I wrote, um, unidentified UFO phenomena. I'm going to other cases, other significant cases that are well documented. For example, the uh, Schosterberg incident. Uh, Schosterberg is in the Netherlands. Um, this was 1979. Uh, first, I, I, contact, I had contact with a witness. Um, uh, it was a, a NATO base. Um, it was being leased by the U.S. Air Force. And uh, they had uh, F-15s at one point, which were uh, capable of carrying um, tactical nuclear weapons. So it was a weapons storage uh, base. Uh, 1979, um, uh, this one witness, uh, which I thought, you know, was just a one-off thing, but she was very uh, credible. Uh, I think uh, she saw the object in uh, February the 2nd, and then February the 3rd, I believe, um, uh, the object uh, flew slowly down the flight line of Schosterberg Air Force Base, and it was seen by some 12 witnesses. In fact, those 12 witnesses were a combination of U.S. military and uh, and uh, Dutch military, and uh, they went on the radio, I think, uh, within days and talked about it. So there's actually radio testimony of what they saw. Uh, very similar not similar, but uh, what, what they saw was this object. Uh, it was more uh, delta-shaped um, craft slowly fly down the runway with uh, a red beam light uh, flashing uh, at times, um, and, um, and which is um, another 
commonality. There, there have been other incidents where UFOs fly over weapons storage area, flash a beam of light on the weapons, and then fly off. Again, telling me that uh, they're just trying to highlight or uh, send us a message that uh, we really ought to get rid of our nuclear weapons. So incidents like that I've, are some of the things that I could bring uh, forward in Washington. There, there, Like I said, there have been many. And I've, in the 24 years I've been investigating this, I've, I've talked to many witnesses, both military and civilian. I'm interested in your take on what's happened, the, the opposite in some other cases that I've read about, in which they've actually put these literally on the path to, to launching uh, whoever they is, and uh, the personnel were only able to you know flip the switch, per se, in the nick of time to save them from literally uh, sending a nuke at our enemy. Uh, yeah, I think you're talking about a Russian uh, case in Russia. I think it was in, uh, in Ukraine, actually. Um, uh, 1982, I believe, uh, where a UFO comes over and starts the missile on its uh, launch sequence. And the crew, you're right, was able to stop it before launch. So again, this may have been an intentional way of showing them how, how really dangerous uh, situation this is. Uh, I, I honestly think they're trying to help us uh, yeah. deal with nuclear weapons. I mean, because they very well could have pulled out at the last moment, uh, basically just given us a, a scare for our lives, uh, thinking that these things are right. going to go off, but it's their intention uh, not to let that happen. They just want to, uh, you know, exercise their power, or like you said, uh, try to get the message across that you know we shouldn't be involved in in nuclear weapons. Exactly. Exactly. You don't believe that the aliens were doing this uh, in any way to uh, initiate an, an attack on us? No, I don't. Uh, you know, this has been going on for probably thousands of years. <laughs> UFOs have been uh, interacting with humans. So if, if they wanted to take over planet Earth, they would have done it by now. Um, yeah, I just got back from Italy and I uh, went to the um, Palazzo Vecchio, which is a museum um, in Florence, and uh, saw a painting. You may have seen this painting. It's a, it's a late 15th century, so some, somewhere about 1490. Uh, it's a painting that shows the Madonna and child. But in the background, in the sky, behind the Madonna, it is clearly a UFO. It's, uh, it's a typical UFO shape. Uh, it's got a glowing light around it, and uh, it's even got a... Well, another witness behind uh, the Madonna uh, looking up at it. Uh, so I have no doubt these objects have been around for a long, long time. Yeah, that would and be I guess the, 500 years? Yeah, right. Uh, or right. more? Yeah. yeah or if more. it's in a painting yeah. from 1490. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, Robert, what would you say to, to some folks who say that this is all well and good, but I just can't vote for somebody who believes in UFOs, and I don't think it's a good use of our, our government resources and our times, and we've got bigger problems to, to cure? Well, we've got problems, all right, but uh, this, is, this is a tip. Uh, like I said, this is really connected to a very serious problem, the nuclear weapons issue. 
more and more countries are trying to get nuclear weapons. Uh, Iran is, again, now on course to at least um, get the ability to have nuclear fuel um, for a weapon. And uh, uh, we've got Pakistan and India, both nuclear powers that are fighting each other. Who knows when they will use nukes against each other and when. Another country uses nukes, uh, uh, it's, it'll, it'll create a crisis. So, you know, when people poo-poo this, uh, you know, the UFO phenomenon itself, it is related not only to uh, nuclear weapons, but to the excessive secrecy in government. Uh, there is absolutely no reason for government to hide from the public that the phenomenon is real. It has been ongoing for you know, since uh, World War II, we've known about it at least. Um, and uh, and there's nothing more uh, significant that could, in fact, bring the world together um, um, than releasing information that uh, this is a real phenomenon. Let's see if we can figure out what it all means and how we can work with uh, extraterrestrial visitors. Um, so what I would uh, say to any skeptic out there is I'm not going to be able to convince you that the phenomenon is real. You're going to have to research the, uh, the uh, material that's out there, which is plentiful, really. Uh, very good cases, very valid cases are out there. Um, just do the research, and uh, I'm sure you'll be convinced. In addition to those uh, th- that Robert uh, has written, of course, uh, Unidentified the UFO Phenomenon and, of course, Faded Giant, I would uh, recommend Inside the Black Vault with uh, John Greenwald Jr. and also Military Encounters with Extraterrestrials from Frank Joseph because they cover a lot of the history as well. My uh, best of luck to you, Robert, uh, in your uh, in your run for the House of Representatives, and uh, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you, Jeremy. I welcome the opportunity, and uh, uh, God bless, and good luck to you. Bye-bye. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, my thanks again to Robert Salas. I'm Jeremy Scott, Night Night Friends. Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.